DW Africa Link It's time to give you the news making headlines from Africa and beyond. Hello and welcome to the program with me Josie Mahachi. And Josie is here with me Eddie Micah Jr. We're reaching you live on our Facebook page that's DW Africa and through our partner stations around the world. Coming up on our program Niger Junta repeals law on migrant traffickers. The European Union is sounding the alarm. There is a huge risk that this will cause a new deaths in the desert, but that will also probably mean more people coming to Libya for example and then maybe also trying to cross the Mediterranean to the EU, but the saving of lives is the most concerning part here. Okay, we also speak to an expert on migration to find out what's driving African migrants on such dangerous journeys. Because they don't have the resources to go through the proper means, through the authorized means, they are looking for a shorter means of moving down to Europe. Hmm. Stay tuned. The details are coming right after the world's news in brief. DW News. My name is Jen Nyinge. With less than a day now before an extended truce deal between Israel and Hamas, militants runs out. Qatari mediators are trying to get negotiators from both sides to agree to a more lasting ceasefire arrangement. The truce has been in place for six days. But is there any indications that the ceasefire could be extended again? DW's Ben Fazulin in Jerusalem with more. Egyptian officials are saying it would be highly likely and is highly likely that we'll receive some sort of announcement as to the extension today. Uh, there's been a lot of back and forth, uh, high-level talks uh, in the region. A former U.S. ambassador to Israel wrote, interestingly enough, that the pressure and incentives for both sides to keep trading these hostages for Palestinian prisoners is much stronger than the incentive to go back to war. Of course, Israel's ultimate goal is to dismantle Hamas, but that's becoming less and less likely. DW's Ben Fazulin there in Jerusalem. NATO member states have reiterated their commitment to stand with Ukraine for, quote, as long as it takes, despite concerns that the war with Russia is turning into a stalemate. Speaking in Brussels, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said it was not a question of if, but when Ukraine will become a member. Allies agree that Ukraine will become a member of NATO. We have now provided recommendations on Ukraine's priority reforms, including the fight against corruption, strengthening the rule of law, and supporting human rights and minority rights. A court in Hong Kong has been hearing the final arguments in a landmark case against some of the city's most prominent pro-democracy activists, They were arrested two years ago under a sweeping national security law imposed by Beijing after the 2019 anti-government protests. The activists could face life in prison. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. Kenyan President William Ruto's favorite outfit, the Kaunda suit, has been banned in Parliament. The suit, which is colorless and often short-sleeved, is named after later Zambian President Kenneth Kaunda. The decision, according to Parliament Speaker, was made due to new fashion trends that have made or have put the former parliamentary dress code at risk. And the second Israeli plane meant to airlift more Malawians to work on Israeli farms is due to leave Malawi today. 
the deal to send over 200 young Malawians to Israel has been criticized by both politicians and human rights groups. There are concerns about the transparency of the deal and the potential risk to citizens at a time when Israel is in conflict with the Palestinian Hamas group. For more news and information, head on to our website dw.com/africa. My name is Jane Nyingi. Thank you Jane Yingi for the news and thank you guys for staying tuned into the program this is Africa Link with me Eddie Michael Jr. and I'm your host Josie Mahachi welcome to you on our Facebook page DW Africa we also appreciate everyone who's tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent that's right let's get on with what's up today the European Commission is concerned about Niger's military government recently scrapping a law on migrant trafficking Niger's junta revoked an anti-migration law that had helped reduce the flow of West Africans to Europe but which was reviled by desert dwellers whose economies had long relied on the traffic. Now the law which made it illegal to transport migrants through Niger was passed in May 2015 as the number of people traveling from Africa across the Mediterranean reached record highs creating a political and humanitarian crisis in Europe. Okeri Ngushinado has more on this. The 2015 law helped to curb the number of West African nationals illegally traveling through the Sahara to Algeria or Libya in a bid to eventually reach Europe. The European Union Home Affairs Commissioner Elva Johansson talks about the challenges of the repealed law. I'm very concerned about the situation now, and there is a huge risk that this will cause a new deaths in the desert. That's the most concerning thing, but that will also probably mean more people coming to Libya for example and then maybe also trying to to cross the Mediterranean to the to the EU but the saving of lives is the, the most concerning part here the law arranged under the previous civilian government had been backed by EU money it involved increased surveillance of the desert especially in the northern agadez region that's a major transit point of thousands of west african nationals seeking to emigrate to europe via algeria or libya dozens of people working in illegal migration networks have been arrested and imprisoned and many vehicles used to transport migrants have been confiscated while the eu is upset people in niger share their reactions to the repealing of the law nous sommes vraiment joyeux We are extremely joyous to know that this law has been repealed. It's not a Nigerian law. It's not a law that really harmonizes with our mores and customs because it was imposed on us. When you travel around Agadez, you can see the joy that is returning. People are happy in Agadez because they know that this important income generating activity is returning to the Agadez region. Formally, this law limited the rights of certain Africans and Nigerians. The rights have been restored through the repeal of this law, and for us in Agadez, this is a good thing. And for the ruling junta, it's a retaliation. It's a way of annoying the European Union. The head of Niger's military regime, General Abdulrahman Chiani, believes that the law did not take into account the interests of Niger and its citizens. The new order also stipulates that convictions handed down under the 2015 law shall be erased. General Chiani has ruled Niger since July following a coup that overthrew President Mohamed Bazoum. 
the military regime has distanced itself from European partners, drawing closer to two of its neighbours, Mali and Burkina Faso, which are also run by the military. Okay, we should not with that report. Now, so what really is the state of illegal migration? Because it sounds like a big problem for Europe, Eddie. It definitely uh, seems like a big problem. But that's exactly the question I asked Celestine Odogu, a sociology lecturer at the University of Abuja. There is actually a heavy turnout of people who want to leave Africa to the land of hope, which is called Europe, because the proximity seems to be what much closer and easier because they don't have the resources to go through the proper means, through the authorized means. They are looking for a shorter means of moving down to Europe. And that is why you see that they are actually taking the risk of trying to leave the country irrespective of the dangers. Why do you think Niger scrapped this law? The European Union has placed a lot of sanction or some sanctions on Niger. And they are feeling the impact of the sanction. And they felt that it was actually their idea to run the country themselves. They want to be self-reliant. They don't want Europe to really interfere, even though they will give support. But for them, they feel that the sanction simply means they're interfering. And for them to also say that they have made laws to restrict that will favor Europe, they should remove it. Are you suggesting that Niger's new government did this in retaliation against Europe? No, obviously it is a retaliation. It's a way of trying to tell them that you can't be putting sanction on us to, and, and to tell us when we're a sovereign nation. But I mean, what really could be the benefit of Niger scrapping this anti-migration law? Because it's only going to allow a lot of migrants from different countries on the continent to just pass through Niger now freely to try to get to Europe. What, what, how does that benefit Niger? It's not going to be of benefits. Let's be very honest with ourselves. It's not going to be of benefits. Let's be very honest. I just That's what I'm saying. That it seems like 60% retaliation, but also you don't just rule it all as retaliation. There is no benefit. There's not going to be economic benefit because these illegal migrants, not all of them are righteous. Most of them are criminals. Most of them are criminals. And they will use that as an excuse to come to Niger. And when it becomes, uh, before you know, when it becomes the 11th hour, and they, they wouldn't know how much damage this would cause them. Because many countries now will want to use Niger as a route to migrate. So it's going to be having so much effect on Nigerians. What can African governments do? to protect their people and prevent them from, you know, taking the very dangerous routes of migrating to, to another place? Uh, one of the key things African leaders must do is to repent. Repent of their selfishness. Because you can't be preaching good news to me and I look at you, all I see is evil. Yes, that's one thing they should do. They should repent of what they are actually portraying themselves as before the people. Then two, there should be proper orientation, proper orientation. And let people know that whatever they seek out there cannot be possible when you don't know what is out there. So it is true orientation and it's true the way you have presented yourself that people will pay good attention. If you cannot beat them or become corrupt, then the best alternative is to think of leaving. So African leaders need to go back to the drawing board, look at it and know where the main fault comes from. And the main fault comes from they themselves, the leaders.
Now speaking to Celestino Dogu, a sociology lecturer at the University of Abuja. Now straight to your Facebook comments. Boo Fali says, it's a psychological warfare. Do me, I do you. Hurt me, I hurt you. Punish me, I punish you. Yeah, basically in trying to understand why uh, Niger's military government uh, is, got rid of the law, exactly, basically yeah. saying that, okay, well, if you, if you're putting sanctions on me, uh, pay back, you know, then, then this is how I'm going to pay you back. Mm. But then the interesting part is, how is it going to benefit Niger? I guess there's some people that make business out of this. So they, because within the country, there as we had, they were excited be, that the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the military government had, had uh, done away with this law. But only time will tell Josie really how, how, how beneficial it is for Niger and the region as a whole. Abu Bakar Atik, who says, uh, DW Africa, the West doesn't play fair. So they got to do what they got to do. Oh, oh okay. Mm-hmm. And so Dimani says, we cannot stop migration, but we can reduce migration. Well, in all fairness, that's what the EU is trying to say, trying mm. to reduce um, illegal migration. Illegal in this migration, case, right? rather, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Man Gerald, who says, Kudos, Niger. Our people must go to Europe and bring back what was stolen from us. Africa must never bow to any imperialist. Okay, those are your comments. We also have a live comment here from Julius. Yeah, Louis says, he's listening from your country, Ghana. Yeah. He says, may the Lord always go before all the junta's <laughs> or transitional governments, and we need uh, to unite Africa. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, there's uh, Lamin K. Jawara who says, uh, thanks for the updates, and that's what we always try to do here on Africa Link, to give you the latest updates from mm. Africa and beyond. Our top story is focusing on a uh, very tough act from Niger, one can say, because the, there was a law with the previous government that was an anti-migration law, mm-hmm. but a new military government, well, they have scrapped that law, which yeah. now means that it is not illegal for people passing through Niger to get to maybe Libya, other countries to eventually get to Europe. And which that, still is dangerous. Which is dangerous. Yeah. You know, and uh, that is that has been our top story and most of you have been uh, quite uh, involved and interested in it. We are still taking your comments on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Let us know your thoughts. Thanks for staying with us. And in case you just joined us, this is DW's Africa Link program with me, Josie Mahachi. And I am Eddie Micah Jr. Join us on our Facebook page, DW Africa. That's where the show is live. And we also appreciate our listeners via our partner stations. Now, still to come, we hear why private companies like Volkswagen are threatening to leave South Africa. Uh, The South Africans' government's ability to deal with the many, many crises that this country is currently facing. Of course, top of mind is the phenomenon known as load shedding. Yeah, load shedding. That's, uh, I remember that word because Ghana, <laughs> Ghana went through a lot of load shedding yeah, a so couple of years Zimbabwe ago. Yeah, so still going through that as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Well, looking forward to get to that story on why some private companies want uh, to leave the country. Before we get to that, it's a week after the electoral campaign was launched in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the women who have put themselves forward as candidates in various elections are trying to convince voters to believe in their potential. Mm -hmm. But until now, women's representation in Congolese politics has been minimal. And in Goma, in the east of the country, support for them is growing. 
Zaneb Neti Zahidi, our correspondent in Goma, gives us more. In the eastern region of the DRC, the number of women studying as candidates in legislative and provincial elections is on the rise. Alexandrine Nekisikutila, a local resident, is urging people around her to vote for women. As a Congolese citizen, I'm almost ready to go to the polls and vote for a woman. Not because I'm a woman too, but because I believe that women can achieve great things, as several renowned women around the world have proven. I think we can continue to have an impact on the world by supporting each other. For this electoral year, the Elections Commission had conditioned the reception of the list of candidates for each political party by its constitution to 30% of women. This approach is welcomed by Generos Kageni, coordinator of the organization Women Today, engaged in the defense of women's rights in the province of North Kivu, who believes that some women's rights are fluted in the DRC because they are still not part of the decision makers. The low representation of women in decision-making bodies is a major factor affecting the consideration given to their specific needs in the allocation of resources and even in the formulation of social and economic legal reforms. That's why it's important to ensure that women participate at all levels of decision-making so that they can present and defend their rights in our highly patriarchal society. As a candidate in the December's presidential elections, Marie-José Foku says she understands that many women shy away from the inevitable pressure of a political career, but remains optimistic about changing this view, which has already begun. I understand that a lot of women find it hard to go into politics because it's a pretty aggressive and insecure world, and women don't like that. If you don't have a strong personality, you're not going to make it in politics. I can tell you that. Because to come back as a presidential candidate for the second time, you need to have strong nerves. In spite of everything, we've decided to defy fear because you have to admit that there's a lot of fear behind it and all that takes courage and daring. Promoting gender equality once elected is a fight of all these women candidates for the 2023 elections in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Thanks, Sanip Neti Zaidi, for that report. Yeah, mm. we will keep you posted on any new developments on that front. Now let's head to South Africa, where there's a lot of concerns, Josie, of mm-hmm. a business case for South Africa waning, right? It's leading to threats of people you know, refusing to invest or the appetite for investment, basically, is is really going Mm. down. Um, uh, Economic and political experts say the collapse of state capacities are the core of the country's weak economic performance. Volkswagen recently raised concerns about essays and stable economic infrastructure climate, drawing strong reaction. Now, South Africa Volkswagen CEO Thomas Schaeffer says they are not in the business of charity and therefore threatening to pull car manufacturing out of the country. 
But what are the specific challenges the private sector is facing was the first question I asked Lester Kiewit from our partner station Cape Talk in South Africa. Uh, Josephine, there's growing distrust, particularly from the private sector and private industry in uh, the South Africans' government's ability to deal with the many, many crises that this country is currently facing. Of course, top of mind is the phenomenon known as load shedding. This is essentially rolling power cuts for a prolonged period of time. Currently, we're in the sixth stage of load shedding, which means there is between 10 to 11 hours of uh, interrupted power supply. And while the private sector has invested billions of rands into um, either its own power production, renewable energy, solar energy production, it's still not enough to cover the baseload of what is needed by major industries to keep running. There's also the issues of South Africa's crumbling logistics infrastructure. That has also seen a, a near collapse over the last few years. This has meant that there are massive backlogs when it comes to the import and export of goods into the country. Currently, there's something like 100,000 containers that are stuck outside of South Africa's busiest port of Durban. And it's meaning that um, the private sector is thinking twice about the ongoing investment in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Speaking of private sector, I mean like private companies rather than is Volkswagen is one of those companies that is also like uh, facing challenges in South Africa and threatening to pull out their manufacturing operations. How would the potential withdrawal impact the local workforce and employment in the country? Well, last week, the CEO of Volkswagen um, passenger cars, Thomas Schaefer, he stating that South Africa is becoming an undesirable location for the manufacturing of cards, especially amid the global shift towards electric vehicles. And this is due to the issues like load shedding, like the rising cost of labor, and also problems with Transnet. Volkswagen employs close to 4,000 people. It's in fact the largest private employer in that particular metro. And uh, Thomas Schaefer saying that South Africa was in the past a very competitive player in the global manufacturing space because of its low labor costs. But now it's losing that edge rapidly due to poor governance. But are there ongoing discussions or maybe negotiations with the South African government or stakeholders to address the concerns? The South African President Cyril Ramaphosa, him a former business person, has very, very close ties with the private sector locally and internationally. He's seen as particularly well-liked within the private sector. He has often spoken about the social compact between government, civil society, and business in South Africa, which would, through partnership, help South Africa out of its current mire. But there's been some mixed messages from the South African government, particularly when he's minister in the presidency. She believes that business is actively conspiring against the South African government. She used words like sabotage.
Sabotage, that's a very strong mm-hmm. word there. I was speaking to Lester Kiwit from our partner station, Cape Talk in South Africa. And it's very sad to hear that, I mean, private sector companies are pulling out of South Africa. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a ripple effect of what's happening, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about load shed. And I remember the days of Ghana going through load shed and mm. it was affecting a lot of private businesses. And yeah. and it's not like the government is doing enough to cushion the effect of of people actually, or businesses, private businesses, especially investing a lot in the country. They need to have the conducive environment to operate. Uh, absolutely. But I hope now that companies like Volkswagen are, are pulling out, maybe the government will do something about it. Because as you heard, they employ about 4,000 mm-hmm. South Africans. Should anyway, tell us what you think on our Facebook page, DW Africa. Africa Link. Sport. Now to some UEFA Champions League update. Barcelona beat Porto 2-1 to make it through to the knockout stages of the Champions League for the first time under Xavi. It was the club's top priority ahead of the new campaign, Eddie, and has been achieved with the game to spare Albert for an obliging group. Yeah, that's right. Barcelona Mm -hmm. had to do it the very hard way, uh, coming from behind yet again to snatch all three points, thanks to goals from Joao Cancelo and Joao Felix. Now to discuss more on this, we have... Our colleague and football guru, Isaac Mugabe, in the studio. Isaac, you watched the game. How did it go? Well, uh, thank you guys for inviting me here. I mean, it was it was tough, especially coming from behind and uh, wanting to qualify for the next round of 16. And just like Joseph said, uh, Shafi has been on under some intense, immense pressure to make sure that Barcelona doesn't you know, fall out of the track. And by qualifying, of course, he got the kudos. But again... For the first the first thirty minutes that I watched, at least uh, before I switched to other games, uh, you could see that the bench was apprehensive. You could see that he's not so sure whether his players are doing uh, what he told them to mm. do. Especially that's when you see coaches' uh, frustrations. I always tend to look at the bench to mm. read the body language, and you could see that oh, he's trying to prepare himself for whatever may come out. But thankfully. He came from behind and, you know, yeah. a bit. And then that's what he was he, he needed. Also, Manchester City came from behind <laughs> and <laughs> overtook Leipzig. To yeah. and uh, Erling Haaland, your guy, you know, from nowhere. I mean, he's on <laughs> fire. The fastest 40 goals in the oh, UEFA yeah. Champions League. And yeah. just last week, he made 50 goals. The fastest again. Yeah. He's breaking records. And the coach, Guardiola, very quickly, he was so impressive. Mm-hmm. When they asked him during the press conference, well, he just kept on laughing. He said, I've told you a million times, he's great, he's good, we are happy, and he'll keep on breaking records. Oh, so yeah. they're in business. Yeah, definitely in business. I'll tell you, another team that, well, they had to get the job done, they settled for a draw. If you watch that game, you know what I'm going to yes. ask you now. Was it a penalty or not? I think I think that's very controversial. I don't want you know, to to, to blend <laughs> myself. You'd... But again, I, when you look at the timing and the way the ball bounced from the chest to the arm, hmm, that's not the right time. Yeah. By all means, this this was supposed to be Newcastle's win. Yeah, and uh, a lot of talk is on social media platforms, especially ex former Twitter, saying mm-hmm. that these VRC referees should be stopped. And actually, by the way, Eddie. To add controversy to that, the official charge of VRA has been suspended. He won't be, you know, officiating the game, mm. the next game of Salzburg. I mean, because everyone 
You can imagine the coach yeah. Hove of uh, of uh, Newcastle. He was fuming, reeling yeah. in the 98th minute, and then stoppage time, and boom, a penalty. Yeah. Despite the fact that my namesake Isaac Alexander, <laughs> very brilliant, he had given Newcastle the okay, lead. Okay, <laughs> Isaac, Isaac, quickly, what other surprises can we anticipate today? We see Manu is taking on uh, Galatasaray and Bayern Munich with Copenhagen. Yes, the placards are still high and above in Istanbul. Welcome to the hell. That's the welcoming words mm. that uh, Galatasaray gave Manchester. United. I mean, it's a do or die like I said previously on the show here. Uh, Ten Hag has to win this game mm-hmm. or else he's in trouble. And all, it's, it's not all lost. But it's It has been hard for Manchester United to beat Galatasaray. And when you look at the table, I mean, Manchester United is just down there at the bottom. Yeah. So they desperately need these, point, these points. And by the way, to mathematically calculate, they will be hoping that Copenhagen draws or beats Bayern Munich, which is an uphill task. We know that Bayern Munich is up there with 12 points and (laughs) Copenhagen is four points. But don't forget the previous game that Copenhagen played with Manchester United. It thumped Manchester United. So anything can happen. And they'll be hoping that Copenhagen spoils the party for Bayern Munich. Mm. And then if Manu beats Galatasaray, like uh, Josie put it, then it jumps to the second position with six points, yeah. assuming other factors are constant. I'll tell you something, Isaac. I, I can bet my last dime that yeah. Bayern is not losing to Copenhagen. That's okay. for sure. Let's give the money to Let's, let's see. Please, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> let's thank you. 100 euros. 100 euros. 100 euros. <laughs> <laughs> guys, uh, those games are coming up in the UEFA Champions League. Uh, hopefully, Godwin, tomorrow we have uh, Isaac again to help us dissect what happens with those games. Thanks a lot for tuning in to the program. I am Eddie Micah Jr. And I'm, my name is Josie Mahachi. Until next time, choose. DW Made for Mind.